Good morning. I love this church. I really do. Last night, uh, Trish and I had a date with uh, James Lim and Lupe and Robert and Lucille. And so I felt like I was at a table with celebrities last night. You know, uh, James was in General Hospital. Um, Lupe's pretty. <laughs> Robert and Lucille are just, they got it all, you know. And, and then there's Tricia. And I have been reassured that in another universe, I'm very good looking as well. So, <laughs> seriously, it's just great to be here. The fellowship has been uh, so fantastic. And uh, we'll leave uh, next weekend. I'll be here Sunday. But um, I'm here today to talk to you about the fact that you, you are the light of the world. And I want us to understand the concept so we can really maximize a lesson that Jesus wants us to really get. And so what we're going to do is start really talking about the light source. That God is the ultimate life source, or light source, both actually, um, for us. And I'm just going to read some passages. And you can listen. And a couple of passages, I'll let you know that it would be great if you could read on in your Bibles. But you can just listen to a couple of these. Isaiah 2.5 Come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Psalm 89, 15. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence. And then, of course, Jesus describes himself as light, the light of the world. In John 8, 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. But we will have the light of life. John 9, 4-5. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then in 1 John 1, 5. 5-7. This is a bit longer text. This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. What I love about these passages is the, the continuity, and three of them mention walking in the light. And so what's interesting about that, in preparation for my sermon, I was just looking at the, some things about light relating to our health. And anthropologists working with medical professionals and scientists have tried to figure out the health of different parts of civilization over time in relationship to cultures that spend more time outside versus those that spend more time inside. Bottom line is, Cultures where people spend more time outside are less likely to have cancer. There's something about being out in the light of the sun. And, but being in the light of God, being aware that we have God in our midst, and we are walking in his presence, aware that he sees, sees us. Cognitive of who he is in his presence is going to make a big difference in how we 
function in this world. When Jesus said twice in John, I am the light of the world, I want you to think about this. He's the first person that I'm aware of, and you know I'm a history buff. First person I'm aware of in, in the history of the world that was able to pull people from radically different extremes culturally, with their ethnicity and their religious standing and views all together into one gathering. He did that right before the Sermon on the Mount at the end of Mark chapter 4. He was the person who ultimately spawned hope for life after death. Most of the pagan religions that existed up to the time of Christ were not about religion. Like we think of religion, values and virtue. They were religions to try to explain things that were mysteries, like planting of a seed and a crop is born. And the nature of the elements and weather and storms. And so those religions were about trying to explain things and control the world in a way to bring, make sense for it, for producing crop. Things like that. They weren't about moralities and hope on the other side very much at all. The, the evidence is very scant that ancient religions managed to get people thinking in that direction. And Jesus did. And then the religions that pre-existed the time of Christ, they became copycats and then adopted their theology from the teachings of Jesus about after the afterlife. And then his followers spreading throughout the Roman Empire had a lot to do with, according to many historians, ridding the earth of gladiator combats, putting it into abortion and infanticide, throwing children off a cliff if they were not the right gender or were unwanted. The idea of hospitals. These things came about because of the light of God in Jesus, then absorbed into his disciples. Jesus is the light source. And so it's just good to be reminded of that. If we don't feel the presence of light, if we feel ourselves in dark places, it might be because we have not given ourselves over to the light. And you know, there are substitutes for light. Here's some substitutes for light. Music and entertainment. The first king of Israel, who had such a terrible outcome that people actually forget he was the first king. That is Saul. People naturally gravitate to thinking David was the first king. But Saul was, and he went to a dark place. And the way that he managed his emotions was not by turning to the lights... He turned to music and even had David perform for him. And, you know, music has a powerful and compelling way to make us feel good for a short time. And actually, there's nothing wrong with using music. Music is all throughout Scripture as part of an edification thing, especially the, when it's focusing on God. But it can be a decoy. It can be the substitute. And what happens then is somebody starts feeling really, really good because they were cranking up that trance music. I like trance music, by the way. Um, they will find that thing, you know. I love scores for movies. I have tons of scores. When I listen to a, a section, all of a sudden a movie scene will come back to me. and It's almost like watching the movie again. Music is, is just so compelling to give us energy and to 
kind of enliven us and wake us up and make us feel good. And some people actually like to listen to music so they can feel bad because then that somehow makes them feel good. I don't get that, but that people do do that, you know. But music and entertainment, the use of media like we saw before in some of those clips, are cheap substitutes for the real thing. And that is God in us. And so, just think about that. Another place that we do it is we turn to friends. Wait, friends becomes a substitute for God. Friends are really important in the Bible, and, very, and God uses relationships significantly. David was in a really bad spot, and Jonathan, his friend, came to comfort him, and his comfort was so great, it rivaled that, that a husband and wife would have. He... And, and you can see why, because Jonathan and David had similar exploits. They were both adventurers. They both had great accomplishments as soldiers. And so they understood each other, and David knew that Jonathan was the son of Saul. And if Jonathan cared for him, he might, must not have been so bad. Saul didn't like him. So there's a unique role that Jonathan could have, and I don't want us to dismiss the the awesome gift of a great spiritual relationship that can bring encouragement and meet a need, and that is from God. But sometimes we can get so addicted to a human being that we forget that's supposed to be a pathway to being strengthened with God. And so this is just a reminder. God is the source of light. When was the last time you were alone in your thoughts with God in some sort of God moment of reflection with Scripture or being awed at creation where you're like, oh, man, you can't touch this. It's so awesome to be God's child. I can handle anything. And we don't get those very often. But the pursuit of those moments is worth all the effort because when we have the light of life in us, there's things that we can be and endure and, and be able to be for other people. And so, God is light. Let's just remember that if we can remember. Books. Okay, this is my trap. I love books. There's a difference between reading a great story in the Bible and then reading a great spiritual book and then reading less of the Bible and more spiritual books. And not the Bible and only books. And then there's just a place in time where it's like, wait a minute. This is not the real thing. And I'm a big believer in well-written literature and being of great spiritual value. But there's nothing like the Holy Spirit carrying along men and writing prophecy and the Gospels and all the other writings they give us a divine perspective in our life. And just to make sure that we're aware of the difference. The light source is most directly connected to the scriptures. And motivational speakers. You know, uh, I know, you know, people like me, right? <laughs> I'm teasing. You know, there's something about a really fascinating presentation that's well articulated that's right on target, where the punchline comes exactly when it's needed, and we have an epiphany because 
some man or woman stands before us and awakens us to some sort of new reality. That's awesome. God uses those moments. And he does it throughout Scripture. He uses people that way. In Nehemiah, he used the teachers to give meaning to the law. And all of a sudden, the people were waking back up. And it changed their lives. And, they, and sometimes they would even weep because of what a presentation, articulating the Word of God to people. And that's great. But, you know, sometimes we can be so affected by the charisma and that we need to hear from such and such a person. And we listen to such and such of authors. And so just make sure remember, God is light. Every time there's a dis- something between God and us, like a book or music or a speaker, it's a bit diffused. It's not the same as the real thing. And then uh, substance abuse. This is the worst version, of course. This is where we escape reality by food and drugs and alcohol and illegal things that can make us feel good, but it's all substitutes. Just remember that God is light. And think about that one time, that first time, some of the earlier moments when you were studying the Bible, that all of a sudden it like all made sense. It just came together, the puzzle piece was fitting inside of your heart, and you go, this is it! And then you didn't have to be told, I want other people to know this. It was like, okay, let me make a list of all my friends. Because it came from within, because that was the light. So now let's talk about the fact that we are chosen reflectors. You're a chosen reflector. Every single disciple in this auditorium is a chosen reflector. And let's now read, and if you could open your Bibles for this passage, let's go to Luke chapter 11. There's nothing like the the black print on white paper, and if you've got your electronic device, that'll work too, you know. But let's let's look at Luke 11. This is really, really, we're going to go slow on this. It is great. Okay. No one lights a lamp and puts, in verse 33, in a place where it will be hidden, or under a bowl. Instead, he puts it on its stand, so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are good, your whole body will also be full of light. And when they are bad, your body is also full of darkness. See to it then, that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it is dark, it will be completely lighted as when the light of the lamp shines on you. Now, I want to read a quote. According to two researchers, whose names I can't pronounce because they're German. I forgot to consult Mark and Karen Shaw. Um, The array of bodily organs and systems that depend on the full spectrum of light is astounding. When the eyes are exposed to natural light, the pituitary gland, thyroid, adrenal glands, ovaries, testes, pancreas, liver, and kidneys all function better. It's a fact that we need about 15 minutes a day out in the sunlight and that our eyes, even in shade, but our eyes need to be exposed to sunlight as well 
the eye is where about 97 to 98% uh, where we get calcium D, according to what I read into our body. And there's other components that are going on here that are out of my reach. But it's interesting that through the eyes, our whole body gets better. And through the eyes of looking at the light of God, our whole spiritual selves are better. You know how I know that I'm not doing so well? Is I have a lot of triggers. Uh, A person might be a trigger, just being in the same room. I haven't worked through something. And and I've had triggers all my life, all my Christian life for sure. Uh, Maybe it's a certain kind of a a preaching style. Or uh, just certain words, songs. And when I'm feeling like, "Mm, I need to do some internal work. And, And just to be really honest, I need to do internal work all my life. I don't, if once I go on cruise control... I'm going to be in trouble. I need to do internal work. And so this is how I can tell. If I'm really got a bounce in my step and I can mix it up with anybody and look forward to be in the presence of any kind of a crowd, including people that maybe are not so, you know, healthy or whatever. Because, you know, a lot of us here, we have workplace situations, right? But you can still be ready for it. You can still be prepared because you have the light of God in you. But if you have lost touch with that, and there's something that's gone malfunctioning with your reflection, then it's time to, you know, to go, okay, what do I need to do? Self-reflection, self-discovery, self-work, and, and you can do great things. I want to read another passage, Matthew chapter 4, verse 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. We all know somebody that this passage resembles. They walk into the room, and the room is different just because they walk in. You're like, wow, I want to be around that person. They're the light of the world. They're the light of the party. Not the life of the party, the light of the party. There's just something there. What is it? And you become curious. And it rubs off on you. And then, you know, but that can be us. That can be how we will be described in our extended families, in the workplace, in our community, and in the church. Because we all have access to the same God. Ephesians 5 verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Live as children of light. It says, be a before and after contrast. And think about your before and after contrast. I know for me it's pretty easy because I was a non-Christian long enough to get myself in a lot of trouble. You know, with our kids, they became Christians around, you know, 14, 15, but... Trisha and I became Christians, you know, after the age of 20. And between 14 and 20, a lot of stuff happens. Okay? For me, violence, grand theft, drugs, alcohol, all sorts of categories of lust. And um, did I say violence? Okay. (laughs) Vandalism, whatever. 
Um, and I was just a real mess. I remember about two months before I became a Christian, I was standing in a, a large walk-in closet that had a full mirror in there. I was in my last year of college, a, se- a senior, and I was very religious. I mean, I did, uh, I was a lay minister. I actually did, about a month after that, I did the homily for a Catholic church. But this April of that year, I'm looking in the mirror and saying, what is wrong with me? And, you know, I was pretty open about the things that were wrong with me. I would go to people, including ministers, and describe things, and, I would, and they would just justify me at my things. So I was hurting. I just knew something was wrong with me. And the impact, the game changer for me was I was knocked on a door. But then I answered the door and it was, it was a group, it was a cult group. And I studied with them and just rejected it, but at least I went and got a Bible. So after that I was door knocked again. And two guys door knocked my door and they invited me to a Bible, uh, or vacation Bible school and a Bible study. And I didn't want to go to vacation Bible school because I was Catholic and never wanted to go to any other church but Catholic. But I'll go to this Bible study. And I go to this Bible study. Actually, first of all, I called them up because they didn't call me back. And the guy was silent on the other end of the phone. And I said, why are you silent? He goes, nobody's ever called me back. So I went to this Bible study and Marty Fuquay was leading the Bible study. And I'm telling you, that was a game changer. That, it was all over, right then, right there, parable of the sower, did it for me. And I never missed a Bible study after that. Matter of fact, this is kind of funny, but I was reluctant to go to the first one because it was at 7.30, and that means I would miss the tail end of my favorite show at the time at 7 o'clock, which was Mork and Mindy. I've really dated myself. So to resist the temptation in the future weeks, I left the house at 7 o'clock, and I would get there like 7, 10, 7, 15. They didn't know what to do with this early guest, but I made that choice. And so that's what the Word of God will do. And if the Word of God, which is a major source of God's light in our lives, isn't doing that for you, Let's go back and peel away the crust and figure out why that is that way. Um, There's some common mistakes that we make. First of all, looking badly at things is when our eyes are dark, is what it's saying there in the text, when we see life bad. Secondly, when uh, people put their light under the bowl, and I think one of the ways we do that is being distracted or forgetful. Nobody actually intends and calculates, I want to put my light under a bowl. That, that, that was not logical in Jesus' day, but Jesus is saying, that's in effect what you're doing when you put it to the side and then something blocks it and you cover it and you even forget it's there. And so don't do that. And he wants us to put it up on a stand. And then next, when we don't put it up on a stand, and that means when we live low-profile lives. There's no reason to live low-profile. And this particular congregation is positioned geographically to have major world impact. I hope the next minister that we hire is up the snuff for that understanding. We don't want to just a filler employee. We want somebody that can appreciate all the surrounding communities 
for what is right here to shine the light out there because the needs are great. I can tell from Chicago how dark it is out here. We can just turn on television, we know. And so this church is needed. You are a footstool for God in a very world-influencing community. You are much more in a world-influencing community than the Chicago city that I live in. It may influence finances, certainly mixed past presidents, right? But the media is influenced much more out of here. And so just remember who you are. And let's get our lights flickering again. And put them up and out. So, and neglecting the maintenance. I want to tell you a story. Back around 24 years ago, somewhere in there, uh, John Thorne in Chicago was out reaching out. Might have been Francis, might have been with him. Francis, were you there? Okay, so it was John at this time. John reached out to a woman, Rosemary Stanley, and she was papers gathered ready to get a divorce from her husband, Ken. And so the women studied, and Francis was involved in helping Rosemary become a Christian. Somewhere in the timing of all that, John and Francis end out here. Six months later, I end up studying with her husband, Ken. And just from the impact of Rosemary becoming a Christian, that dialed back and saved their marriage. Uh, Ken was, it was interesting, I was studying with him, and just to just show you how much of a geek I am and how much not a sports guy that I am, on the final night of our last study, when he decides to become a Christian, me and two other brothers walk out of the house and see Chicago rip-roaring people on the top of their cars, hanging out of cars, screaming, like 11, 12 at night, it's just loud, lit up, and I'm like, what's going on? The Bulls won their first championship. So you're not supposed to laugh at me. You're supposed to laugh with me. Yeah. So that's, that's where it was at. So, but Ken, Ken and Rose own an antique lighting store. And we've discipled them many years. They're very close friends, our family. Their daughter's close to our daughters. And they live right around the corner. Or their shop is right around the corner from where we live now. And they're, they're known all over Chicagoland. And celebrities, movies. Houses use some of their stuff as props. They have an antique lighting store. So I was talking to Ken one time. It was a couple of years ago, and I interviewed him for an article I wrote that was basically uh, the, the impact of a chandelier, uh, his research with chandeliers and lights, because he has a lot of lighting fixtures that he'll sell. And I noticed that some of them were in really rotten shape, and some of them were really beautiful. And the ones in rotten shape were ones he went out and scavenged. And the ones that were beautiful were the ones he worked on. So here's a little bit of an illustration I think has application to us. Because we are lampstands, bringing out the light of Christ into the world. He says, a newly lacquered light will never need anything but to be placed above the room, dusted off, and kept lit. Never need anything. These things are always fine if they stay up and are used. But people take them down and leave them out in the open, on the floor, the worst place to leave a light like a chandelier. It will be broken because it's too fragile to come into contact with common items. 
Then he, t- he talks about what he has to do in order to get a light lighting fixture, which is the modern version of a lampstand from the time of Jesus, back into shape. He says, any foreign substance will penetrate the finish and corrode the metal. Then deep cleaning is required, which is very strenuous. The soiled chandelier must be taken apart. Each component must be cleaned of lacquer, buffered, degraced, and have two kinds of compound applied. Possibly the metal will have to be reheated and lacquered again. And what struck me out of that conversation, which led to this article, is that when we have gone too long without the lights shining and being used and being a priority in our life, we as the stand of the lights get out of shape. And I think about what happens to me when I have lost my sense of my mission. I can become issue-oriented. I can become very self-focused. The next thing I'm thinking about is the show that I want to watch is on my DVR back at home. I'm concerned about bills, comfort, food, parties, entertainments, meetings, appointments. But when I forget who I am, I need work. And sometimes one of the ways that God works on us is really great quiet time habits and good regiment. Another way he works is through people, having mentoring and retraining going back in our lives. And I just want to say, let's vow to never to be too old to have people in our lives. Never be too old to get input. Never be too old to be reachable and correctable. Okay? Because that is one of the mechanisms that God uses. And so if you find yourself that you have been kicked around and bumped and dirtied up and soiled by the, the world of... It might be just time to get with somebody and say, hey, listen, I have some stuff to confess. i got to come clean. Periodically, that's what happens in our life. So think about that, okay? So now let's look at we, as a group of people, like a, are like a light station. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. This is verse 19. The setting of this apocalyptic vision in Asia with seven churches is some highly figurative language that's being used to communicate. One of the leading reasons that apocalyptic literature was very popular in the ancient Jewish world and, of course, the Christian world is that language would be chosen that would throw off persecutors and throw off, uh, like, the Roman authorities so they wouldn't know what's really being talked about. And they'd look at it like a bunch of gibberish. But the intended reader would know what's being communicated or have a better sense of it. In verse 19, write, therefore, what you've seen and what is now will take place later, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So the churches are lampstands. And I would say just because we have made a lot of progress in the last 2,000 years, I think the closest equivalent might even be like a lighthouse. That is why a lot of churches out there will actually call themselves the lighthouse. Like even one of them associated with our family in one of the eight uh, regions of the Los Angeles Church of Christ. That's the lighthouse region. So when I'm done with this sermon, I'm going to call up Peter and say, you live in parched land, give us that name, and you guys can call yourself the Oasis. So a church, in a sense, is like a lighthouse. But in Revelation 2, verse 1, Revelation, it's not plural, uh, and the, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? 
These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in, in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. Stop there. He could be talking about the West Side Ministry for 25 years. I mean, that is, that's it right there. That could go on a bulletin masthead. A church full of deeds, work, and perseverance and other contributions. When we did a survey coming in in January, this is one of the big things that we found out. This is how you even know yourself. Those of you that filled out that survey know the contribution that this ministry has made, not only to the Los Angeles church, and the production of leaders out of the UCLA ministry is significant. World impact reaching into Asia and Russia and places like that. You've been at Church has impacted the Middle East. What a fantastic legacy. And so let it soak in there. And, and this is just true. It is just really true. And it's cool. And, and there should be a sense of honor to acknowledge, wow, this is what God has done through us. I mean, isn't that cool? I think some of you are thinking I'm just perched up for the big butt. Okay, now let's get to the stuff you're really going to talk about, Steve. No, this is true. And a church like this ought to walk with his head held high. I mean, this, it's really a great legacy. And so just be aware, that as, a, as a person who's a guest member, this is my home away from home, Trish and I, you know, this is how we feel about you and what we see in you. And the evidence of that character and that commitment shows in all sorts of behind-the-scenes machinations and drive to make things happen. There are things that happens in this ministry that in other churches would take a staff person to drive it. And in this church, there's just that fabric of deep commitment. And then he says to Ephesus, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not. You've grown, you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Oh, wait, we have some little weary this year, right? But that's okay. They're probably a little weary too. Jesus is encouraging them, building them up. This is now uh, probably five decades into the age of the church, somewhere in there. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the heart from which you have height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. In other words, he's saying, you may still be meeting, but the church won't be there. But if you have this in your favor, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Nicolaitans, according to the second century sources, were the followers of Nicholas of Acts chapter 6, who was one of the seven that was appointed to meet the needs of the Grecian widows. And later on, he started his own thing. Changed the doctrines around quite a bit, too. But he says, but I also hate that. And so you don't, you don't go that route. So this is a doctrinally sound congregation. Matter of fact, I think the Los Angeles, all the ministries are doctrinally sound congregations. All of them. It's great to see the interconnectivity that people are holding on to the same standards. He was an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To he overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. Now, here's the application here, okay? Look, club mentalities, camp mentalities, 
are really the two things that really affect a lot of modern churches. The club mentality is we think we come to church for a different reason than God intended. Like the TV show Cheers, where everybody knows your name. You know, when a church traditionally passes the 75 mark, they have their first big conflict in their history. Because they keep growing, and there's some people that say, I don't want to grow. I just want to stay the size where I know everybody's name. They forgot the mission. What should happen is maybe they'll split into two cooperative works where two groups of 75, everybody knows each other. But you don't put a ceiling to say, we want to keep our little club. Okay? Because that's not what the purpose of the church is, to make us feel really, really cozy all the time. It's a nice byproduct when it happens. And I have many seasons in my life where that did happen. But it's not always going to be that way. So we're not here to be the cool club on the coast, okay? So, secondarily is the camp mentality. So that's where people, I belong to this brand. I associate with it. It would be one of the biggest insults for a church where I do some work, say, after I leave. Yeah, we, sign up, we associate ourselves with uh, the Statens. We hold to the Staten brand. Not good. Not good. Paul talked that down, addressed it very directly. Now, if there's something that we do that you like, amen to that. It'll be good for my uh, future employment and, you know, contracts and things like that, you know. So go ahead and say nice things. That's okay. You know, I'm a, I, I like that kind of thing, you know. But ultimately, it's not about the, the, the man that we follow, okay, so, and, and theological, like, I belong to that party. And that's what was going on right here in Ephesus. I think we'd be more closer to the club thing, not the camp thing. The club thing is where we would be tempted of, I want things to feel a certain way. Okay, so just be aware, our purpose is to be a lighthouse. We're to shine. We're God's footstool in the world. And you know, when I remember who I am and what I'm supposed to do, and then I start to see some traction where I'm having influence because of that, I start to feel better about my own circumstances. So just think about that. And then forgetting the main thing. This is what, really what John, through the Spirit, Jesus actually, through John. Jesus, if you have a Bible, it's in red right here, right? These are words of Jesus to the church as you've forgotten your first love. That is the main thing. Our evangelist back in Chicago constantly says, remember the main thing is to keep the main thing. The main thing. Okay. Okay. And sometimes it's easy to forget. The main thing is God. God in us. God spreading through us in our community, reaching the world. Is that, is that true? Okay. Now, is that true? Okay, good. I just want to make sure, you know. And so I think it's really, really true. Okay, now, what I'd like to do is I want to read a parable. This parable was written at least 60 years ago. Nobody knows who wrote it. It's been tweaked by people. It was tweaked by a guy named Steve Rudd, and then I tweaked it again. Since we don't know who the original guy is, and he can't do anything about it because he's dead, it's called The Parable of the Lighthouse. On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occurred, there was one, once a crude little lighthouse and life-saving station. At the base was a hut, and there was only one boat. But a few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea 
And at the sight or word of losses at sea, they would go searching. Many lives were saved by this wonderful little lighthouse station so that it became famous. Some of those who were saved and others from the surrounding areas wanted to become associated with the station and gave their time and money and effort for the support of its work. New boats were sought and new crews were trained. The life-saving station grew. Some of the members, especially the new ones of the life-saving station, were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped. They felt that a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those saved from the sea. So they replaced the emergency cots with beds and put better furniture in the enlarged building. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members, and they decorated it beautifully and furnished it as sort of a club. Less of the members were interested in going to sea on these life-saving missions, so they hired lifeboat crews to do the work. The mission of saving lives was given lip service because many were too busy or lacked the necessary commitment to take part of the life-saving activities personally. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, and half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick, and some of them had different skin, and some spoke a different language. And the beautiful new club was considerably messed up. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where victims of a shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities because they were unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal life pattern of the club. But some of the members insisted that life-saving was their primary purpose and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. But they were finally voted down and told that if they wanted to save the life of various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in these waters, they could go begin their new life-saving station down the coast. And they did. As the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that occurred in the old. They evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded. If you visit the seacoast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along that shore. Shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters. Only now most of the people drown. It's important for us, brothers and sisters, to be aware that we are really meant to be a stop for something greater for people. I love this picture. A lighthouse, like a church, is not the destination. It's merely an aid to help you successfully complete your journey. And so let's relish in the fact that we'll maybe renting schools for the rest of our life. That we may never be really, really mega awesomely super sharp with all sorts of movie stars at our church like Scientology. Okay. We may never be extraordinarily rich, but if we remember our mission and accept the fact that, hey, it's not going to be perfect here. We're just a stopping station in eternity. If we remember the big picture, I think it's really going to be good. But what we really ultimately want to do is, and I'm just calling us to return to the light source God. Refamiliarize yourself with God if you have drifted. Let God's light inside of you. See through the eyes of faith. That's how the light will get on the inside of us. And reflect His light. And even how we look and the choices that we make. And then lastly, convening groups to light up the world. Over the next month, the big focus is to be reformulating our small groups. That's going to be a challenge. There's going to be a lot of awkward moments. There's going to be difficulty. Who's watching the kids? 
Who's bringing the refreshments? Um, should we go men and women? Should we alternate weeks? How come our small group has 24 kids in it? No, there is one that actually does. Okay, there's all sorts of challenges with that. And ultimately, you guys will figure that out. Something out, out that helps you function like a lighthouse, like a light in the world. It, and the, each group may not look like the other. But if we can remember that our God is light, he had a huge impact on the world through people that embodied that light and reflected that light. And that's why we're here. And that means if we have to throw away an old way of doing something to come up with a new way, great. We're not here to honor some old tradition of doing things. And we're not here to build clubhouses. We're here to reflect the light into the world. So over the next five weeks, under the influence of Mark Shump and probably Tim Priestley and the MTT group, as a liaison for Trish and I when we're uh, in Chicago, we're going to be trying to help you guys out with some resources and some ideas to get our groups back functional again. But the, if you just remember this, we want to be a lighthouse for God. We want to be a community for God. We want God to be seen through us. And we want to actually remind each other of God. And then we'll see where things are after that. We may have to tweak and come up with new ideas, bring some experts in there in here to help us retrain how to go on site, life-saving missions. That's okay. We don't have all the answers ourselves, but we definitely know how to connect to God. And so I want you to think about that. Do you want to look like this? Do you? I do. Thank you. You are dismissed.